He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot should strike against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Ziegler. I'm one of the pastors here. And would you please join with me uh, as we uh, pray? Father, you, you invite us to find our refuge in you, and you promise uh, protection for us that is beyond our ability to comprehend. And so, Father, uh, we pray even now, um, the words you say to us are so precious, we want to hear. So, Father, please help, help me to be able to speak uh, clearly and faithfully to your word. Help us to hear. Please change us through your word that we might be more the people that you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if um, over the course of the summer as we've been continuing this series, kind of you started feeling a theme. One of the themes that I think, at least for me, I've been struck by just studying the Psalms is how the Psalms are in many ways like a training gym for the soul. Um, we kind of began recognizing how the Psalms invite us to even offer us the kind of life that we want, describing the life that we are looking for, our life of resilience and joy and strength and fruitfulness, with this, with this image of a tree planted by streams of water. And, and the implication as it begins the Psalms is as we study and internalize these Psalms, this life can be ours. But it is not something that is invited or offered to us instantaneously. It's not something where you read a couple of psalms and boom, you're a tree. Like we're saplings, right? Like everyone kind of enters spiritually as these saplings that are, that are kind of blown around by anything that makes us anxious. And in the same way, you don't become a doctor by just, you know, reading WebMD for a week. You don't, you know, suddenly become a marathon runner by going for a couple of jogs. In the same way, it's not just through reading the psalms a couple of times, but by by, by practicing them, by listening to them, by singing these songs of Jesus again and again and allowing them to go inside of us, 
Our souls are being trained by Jesus himself. Where we've said, these are the songs of Jesus. These, these psalms train our souls so that over time we become more and more that person that the psalm invites us to be. Last week, if you were with us, you might remember how Psalm 69 offers us a way of joyful resilience. It, it invites us to learn a pathway of as we feel just internally overwhelmed by anxieties, to turn those anxieties towards God and find strength in Him. This morning in Psalm 91, I think we are invited to kind of learn a way of growing in courage. Now, even as I say that word courage, I don't know what your reaction is to it. I've seen The Wizard of Oz so many times that I think courage, and like there's something almost silly about that word for me, but if we actually think about it, we realize this is an important idea. Um, Andy Crouch, who's written this great book, The TechWise Family, when he speaks about how we want to form our children and build character, he, he identifies two kind of virtues that we want to be especially focusing on. One of them, not surprisingly, is wisdom. It's so important to understand this world, to understand how we should live within it. We need wisdom. But you and I know, if we've lived any length of time, that wisdom on its own is not enough because so often we know what we should do. It's just really hard to do it. We know what we should do, but there's a risk involved. There's change involved. There's some, something threatening involved. It's, it can be scary. And so there is an internal resistance at times for us doing what we know we should. And, and that strength to overcome that internal resistance, that is courage. The second thing that Crouch says we should seek to develop both in our children and ourselves. And if you think about it for a moment, the more, more we reflect on what this courage is, the more we realize how deeply we want it. I mean, isn't it true that when you think of some of the things that you feel most regret or shame about, it's, it's where a lack of courage comes into play. Changes. You know you should make these changes. You know they would be good, but you're overwhelmed by the idea. Or you know you should confront someone or apologize to someone, but it's just too daunting. There are things in life that we know if we could just do, that would be the right way, but there's something in us that's lacking, and we feel the longing for courage. And as long as we're without it, we feel like a failure. And I think Psalm 91 is written for us. Originally, it was written for others who definitely saw themselves as failures, or at least likely did. Um, while it's not always explicit, a number of commentators pick up some clues throughout Psalm 91 uh, to draw the conclusion that this psalm is likely written to God's people in exile. God's people who have failed, who have turned away from God, and now have experienced the consequences, and they have been brought low, and they are helpless. They need courage. And so in Psalm 91 is written to them even as it continues to be sung to you and to me. And, and really the very heart of it, it's very simple. It's, it's the very opening verse where we find the promise that grounds everything else for the rest of the passage. If you don't have your bulletins or Bibles open, I invite you to because we're going to be just looking through these verses and trying to consider what they're telling us. And, and the opening verse is, if you want to understand one thing about the psalm, here's, here's the very heart of it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So there's the condition. The one 
who chooses to place themselves in the shelter of the true God will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That is, they will experience the protection of the single person who is in control of everything. The one who takes refuge in the true God will find themselves protected by the Almighty of the universe. Uh, throughout this series, one of the books that I've been most helpful, uh, helped by is a book by the, name, uh, by the name of Walk His Way, written by an Old Testament professor, Andrew Sheed. And he actually has a helpful illustration to this verse. He says, imagine you are in a foreign city that is, is not the easiest city to be in. Maybe it's high crime. And, and you have in your backpack everything. You have the cell phone, your wallet, your passport, a change of clothes, and, and, and you lose it. It's stolen from you and you're in this middle of this city, foreign-speaking city, you don't know what you're doing, and, and you find yourself at some point as the day is just kind of progressing, sitting on a dusty step wondering what to do. Should you go to the police? You know the police usually take a bribe, and you don't have money to bribe them. And then some, someone, a man and his wife and a couple of kids just kind of walk by you, and, and they see that you look dejected, and they ask, hey, are you okay? And, and thankfully, they speak, they recognize that you're a foreigner, they speak in English, and, and you... Because you're at wit's end, you actually tell them your story. And, and the man thinks about it. He's like, well, why don't you come home with us, sleep at our house tonight, and we'll get this settled out in the morning. And there's something about this person that makes you feel this person's trustworthy. So you accept the invitation. And the next morning, as you're having breakfast with a the family, there's a knock at the door, and someone who comes in clearly in soldier uniform comes and walks to the table and says, General, we have looked and we found the bag that you talked about. And for a moment, you do a double take, and you realize this person is the single best person you possibly could have taken refuge in. He is the general of the army of that nation, and he looks at you with a smile, and you realize you've hit the jackpot. You have taken refuge in the shelter of one and come to realize that you are now under the protection of one who is strong. And that's what this psalm is saying. If you seek protection from the, most, from, from the most high God, the true God, not those false idols, you will find that you have protection and refuge from the one who's in control of everything. And that is everything. It goes on in the following verses to tell us kind of like what that means. If God is your refuge, it says, you are secure. That's, that's what verses 3 through 10 are about. You are secure. Now, we need to take a step back for a moment because uh, I don't know if this was kind of your experience when you were hearing or if when you were reading Psalm 91. I mean, they're, they're, those verses are fantastic. There's, there's so many good images, but they almost feel too fantastic, don't they? It, it can feel the first time when you're reading through verses 3 through 10 and all this description of protection that it, it, that it seems to be saying, Nothing is ever going to harm you if God is in your, if God is caring for you, life will be perfectly pleasant without any trouble. And we know that's not true. But I think if we look more closely and we understand kind of what's going on with this passage, we realize that it's saying something different, something I would say ultimately that is even better. And that is that as we experience this life, what we can know is that no matter what is happening to us, God is with us, and He is for us, and therefore we are safe. 
Now to see that, we need to kind of recognize that Psalm 91 is written in many ways as a sequel to the Song of Moses. I don't know if you were with us when we were studying Deuteronomy last year, but at the very end of Deuteronomy, there is this, at times, rather depressing song where, where God is warning His people who are about to enter the Promised Land that in some time in the future, they are going to fail terribly. They are going to turn away from God, forget Him, turn to idols, and eventually the result of that will be God's judgment, will be horrible experience of exile. And there's all sorts of warnings that are described there where, where it says, you know, I will heap evil things upon them, God says. I will use up my arrows against them. They will be devoured by plague and pestilence. I will send beasts against them. One enemy will chase a thousand. Two will put 10,000 Israelites to flight. This is a description of what will happen as a result of their failure, as a result of their idolatry. And if you know the history of Israel, you know that is what takes place. They are brought into exile because they've turned from God. And I can only imagine what that would be like, not only to know that you are suffering, not only to know that your life just feels like it's crumbling, but to know that it's your fault and to know that God is actually against you and he's expressing his anger in what is taking place towards you. So that's, that's the background. And, and perhaps you might already recognize that in this psalm, we actually see those very same things being described. So, so in verse 5, it, we, we read him talking about the, the arrow that flies by day. And then it talks about the pestilence. And a little bit later, there's the thousand, and then there's the ten thousand, there's beasts. All of these things are allusions to what God said would happen in judgment. But there's a twist here. Because these things that are, are actions of judgment, verse 8 says that. It's the recompense of the wicked, but the promise is for you, as you see these things, they will not touch you. In fact, rather than experiencing God being against you, you will experience God as your protector. Verse 4 speaks of God like an eagle who puts his wings over the chicks and protects them, or, or then like a shield that, that is defense. God, you will say, God will be for you. Yes, things will happen around you, things that will be terrifying, but rather than experiencing God's anger, you will realize that God is there with you. And so, verse 5, you will not fear. In other words, the promise here is not that God will keep those who seek refuge in Him from any trouble. Look, look at verse 15. It's clear here. It says, I will be with Him in trouble. We will experience trouble, we are told, but if we take refuge in God, God will be with us. And that makes all the difference. So some of you might know the story of Joseph back in Genesis. Joseph was a man who placed his trust, sought refuge in God, and yet terrible things happened to him. His brothers kidnapped him and sold him into slavery. Where he was a slave, he was betrayed by his slave owners that eventually he was imprisoned. He was forgotten in prison for a time. This is not fun. This is awful stuff. And yet, if you know the story, you know that in all of this, God was there with him, carrying him through it and actually bringing him to a place where through him, his whole family was saved. 
And so there's a time near the end of this story where Joseph has a chance to talk to the brothers who did this to him, and he says to them, you meant this for evil, but God in this meant it for good. And Psalm 91 says that is the testimony that any of us who take refuge in him will be able to say. Yes, people will seek evil upon us. Satan will seek to do his worst. There will be troubles that we will come across. But in all of this, God will work all things for our good, for he will be with us. We are promised by Peter that there is an inheritance for us, a future that God has planned for us that cannot spoil or fade, that is guarded, and we are being protected into that day. The point is, if God is your refuge, you have a happily ever after that cannot be taken away. You are secure because God is with you. And not only can we be secure, but the next verses 11 through 13 say that we can be confident. So these opening verses that we've been considering have us in some ways being in one place, seeing all of this crazy stuff around us, and then just feeling protected. But if you notice, verse 11 starts being active. It starts having this image of a journey as we are, you might say, making choices, walking towards the destination that God has intended for us. And if we want to use our imaginations, that pathway that each of us is on is not a simple path. Oftentimes, we are right along a cliff face so that if we, if we trip in any way, we might stumble to our, our peril. And what we are told here is even as we act, even as we walk, we will still be safe. In fact, we can be confident. For the general that we have taken refuge in has sent his, his supernatural soldiers to go with us as an escort. I mean, verse 11 says that, right? It says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. If we're worried that sometimes we might make a choice that will, will, will cause us to do something terrible, he says, the angels will be right next to you so that as you begin to trip, he will just kind of bring you back to the balance you need to so that you're not plunging off a cliff. To, to, to speak in kind of more direct terms for our lives, if we want to know what this is talking about, all we need to do is consider for those of us who have been Christians for more than a short period of time, how remarkable it is that God has kept us in the faith. Uh, this writer that I mentioned before, Andrew Sheed, writes, the simple fact that you wake up and say your prayers and give thanks to God for Jesus and put your home in Him for another day is a miracle. It's a public testimony to His power and his presence. For those of you who, like me, have, have lived more than a, a couple of decades, I don't know if you have this experience like I do of sometimes looking back. Um, I know as a kid it makes sense that I was stupid, right? But when I think even as a young adult and I think of the foolishness I had, some of the things I said, some of the things I believed, some of the things I did, it is remarkable to me that my life is not way different than it actually is. And I wonder, where are moments where I could have very naturally done something so self-destructive and God's angels just kind of moved me in a little ways? Or where is something that I really didn't want at the time because it felt unpleasant, but it was God keeping me on the path? 
Until Jesus returns, we will probably not know the different ways that God has preserved us. But the idea is that while we are walking, the angels there are protecting us, keeping us, so that we are safe. And so we can move forward with confidence, knowing that God will protect us even from devastating failures that we could make. Yes, of course we will fail, but God will protect us through them. In fact, it's more than just protection that we're being promised here. It's actually a kind of victory. Did you notice verse 13 where it says, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Now, that is hard to believe. I mean, I'm just trying to like, I'm staying with the image and I'm imagining myself walking down a path and I'm seeing a snake that I know is poisonous and then I'm seeing a lion and I stamp on one and I kick the other. Now, that is a kind of confidence that I know that I don't have, which is probably good because I probably wouldn't want to do that. But what we're being told here is that would be the right thing for you to do. Why? Not because you are some Arnold Schwarzenegger-like figure. It's because God is with you. And because even as weak as we feel, there is a power at work in us that is greater than anything that we face. You know, some commentators liken these beasts, and then they say maybe it's like either demonic forces or some sort of spiritual attack. You think about the things that we feel just utterly overwhelmed by. Maybe there is some temptation that you just find yourself failing against again and again, and you feel like you are never going to change. And what this is saying is that is not actually how it is. There is a power at work in you greater than what you're facing. And over time, you can know that God will bring you victory over this. Or there can be people that we've been praying for. We long to see them know about Jesus. We've shared Jesus with them, but they just seem so, so cold to it, and we can feel hopeless, and yet the power at work in us is greater than whatever we're facing. We can trust that God can work and bring us success in areas that we feel like it's impossible, not just individually, but as a church, as we look and see and share stories with each other, more and more we will realize that what Romans says is true, that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We can be secure because we are safe. We can move forward with confidence, not a self-confidence, a Christ-confidence, because Christ is with us. And with security and confidence comes courage. I mean, that's obvious, right? I mean, I think of sometimes you'll see like a little kid at the top of a slide, terrified going down the slide, but wanting to go down the slide and needing courage. And when they finally see their mom at the bottom of the slide saying, it's going to be okay, they finally take the plunge because they know she is there and they're safe. And so they move forward. Or think about with, with confidence, the thing that oftentimes keeps us from getting those assignments done or the things that we're overwhelmed by is we just feel like we can't. But the moment we start saying, oh, I can do this, then we start being able to act. With confidence comes courage. And we can have both of those if we realize that if we take refuge in God, God is with us. We need only to look at Jesus, the one who sang this song before we did, to see how this plays out. One of the things I just find so remarkable again and again in the story of Jesus is how utterly unflappable he is in the face of so many people attacking him. He is never getting defensive. 
And that's because he is secure. He, he knows who he is. He knows he is loved by God, and God is with him. And so there is this strength inside of him. Or think of some of the things that, that Jesus did. Can you imagine just choosing to walk on the water? I mean, Peter tried and utterly failed, but Jesus just stepped forward. Or can you imagine seeing a demon-possessed, super-strong guy just yelling at you and just quietly rebuking him? There is a confidence Jesus had. Why? Because he knows God is with him. And in this security that he has in God's love and this confidence that he knows that God's power is at work in him, he has a courage so that when Judas comes to arrest him, Rather than calling down his angels, rather than escaping, which Jesus could have done at any moment, even though he knows he's going to the most unthinkable, terrible thing, he walks without any hesitation towards where God has called him to. That is courage. And Psalm 91 says that that courage is something that you and I can develop. Because if we take shelter in the Most High God, we will come to recognize that we are abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there is this, there is this condition, right? It's if. If you do this, the one who does this. And so, as we close, it's worth us just asking how. How do we do this so that we can know that we are under God's protection? This perhaps actually is, for me, the most extraordinary part of this passage. So, so verse 1, we've seen the condition and the promise. Verse 2 then, I think, actually shows us what it looks like to be the one who, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, or you might even, you might even add a you here, I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. It's rather simple, isn't it? These words, you are my refuge, they're just a cry for help. They're just a saying, I, I need you. I look to you. Would you please be my protector, God? In, in other words, this is not a promise just for the heroic. Although, as we come to understand what it means, we will grow in courage. This is not a promise just for the virtuous who are living the way that they're always supposed to. Although, again, as we come to understand it, it will help us to do what we want to do and we know is good. This is not a promise just for those who understand everything that they believe, even though as we come to understand these things, we will come to know them. This is a promise for the person who is on the dusty step and God comes walking by and saying, do you need help? Do you want to come stay with me? It's a promise for the one who in that moment says, yes, I need it. And if we can just think about that for a moment and allow it to settle in, we will realize this is one of the most beautiful, extraordinary truths we can possibly imagine. I think this kind of first began to kind of really click with me many years ago. I was actually reading a sermon from a 19th century preacher, of all things, a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And he was reflecting on um, Jesus' words um, that appear in John 
where, where Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so just some background here. There was a time in the Old Testament where God's people were in the wilderness, where they had sinned against God and they experienced judgment. And the way they experienced judgment was by being bitten by poisonous snakes. And, and God tells Moses, here's what you need to do. Make a snake, a snake statue, put it on a pole, lift it up, and whoever looks at it, as they look, they will be healed. And Jesus in John 3 says, that's me. Whoever looks to me as I am lifted up and believes in me will have life. And so as Spurgeon, this preacher, is reflecting on it, he, he points out that, that in the camp, there was no conditions being made. It's not like, well, this is just for a certain subgroup. It's anyone, anyone who even so much as looks. It doesn't matter if you're the poor or you're the rich. It doesn't matter if you're comparably bad or you're somehow comparably good. It doesn't even matter if you can barely look. If you look, you are healed. He, he says, you might, he says, perhaps there were some of them so bitten that their eyelids were swollen and they could scarcely see. They could but squint from one eye if they did but dart a little glance at that bronze serpent they lived. And so here's where Spurgeon goes with it. He says that when Jesus says he's like the snake, he is telling us that we just need to look to him for help. Whoever believes in me will have life. Spurgeon says, remember, there is the same Jesus for big sinners as for little sinners. The same Jesus for gray heads as for babies. The same Jesus for poor as for rich. The same Jesus for prostitutes as for saints. Whoever looks to Christ shall live. Remember, it does not say that if you look only a little bit, you will not live. If you say you cannot believe, listen, if God gives you only half a grain of faith, that will be enough. If you can only say, oh Lord, I want to believe, help me in my unbelief, that will be enough. If you can but put out your hands like Simon did and say, Lord, save me or I perish, it is enough. In our helplessness, to look to Jesus and ask for help is enough. Isn't that what the thief on the cross discovered? If you don't know the story, when Jesus was being crucified, there's a man right next to him whose life was very different from Jesus, whose life was filled with all sorts of wrongs. And while he was on the cross, there is no time in that moment to suddenly understand the doctrine of the Trinity or to understand how salvation works. And there certainly is no time for this person to suddenly change his life, become virtuous, and make something different of him. He has nothing left to do, but what he does is this. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In that moment, what is he doing? He is saying, I take my refuge in you. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You will dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and you will be saved. 
as, as our passage concluding says in the final verses, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Those who just cry out and look, that is the promise. You know, I don't think um, it is any coincidence that the name Satan literally means the accuser. It tells us actually that that is one of the chief works that Satan does. He accuses. He tries to make it so that you and me believe that when Jesus says whoever, he's talking about someone else. Sure, that whoever can be true for those who love, but I don't love God like I need to. Sure, that whoever can be true for people who really believe, but if I have any faith, it is just almost non-existent. Sure, that whoever can be for people who obey, but I don't think it's in me to even obey. And that is a lie literally from the pit of hell. The whoever is for you and for me. If we just but look to Jesus and say, I need help, the promise is that we will find refuge, that we will find protection from God, that we will be secure, that we will be able to move forward with confidence knowing God is with us, that we will grow in courage. And so I'd like us even now to do that. We have an opportunity, as God has promised these things in this psalm, to respond by calling out to him and saying, Lord, please be my shelter. For those of us, uh, any of us, actually, one of the ways that we can do this is by acknowledging our sin and seeking forgiveness from the one who forgives. If we are feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, we can bring those to him. Whatever it is, let us spend time calling out to God in helplessness, knowing that he hears and that he will protect and then I'll lead us in a couple of minutes for prayer. Would you please join with me in silent prayer?